Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host coming to you from the Judean Mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic anytime. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end when we're also going to share an exciting opportunity. And please feel free to share this with people who you know who will also find it of interest. Last week, I had a very cool and important experience um, visiting southern Israel along the Gaza border area. I've been working with a group in Atlanta appropriately called the Atlanta Israel Coalition. We've been partnering together on a number of things and rented a big van for us to drive down and get a military escort in a couple of the communities there. Um, We're going to talk about where and what we did, but I have to say it was super impressive and and and, and informative. And I don't know in a good way, and we're going to talk about that, but it was in an important way. And I had an extra seat in the car. So I called up my good friend, Nicole Johnsezian, who is a journalist here in Jerusalem. She and I, she's originally from New York. I'm originally, I was born in New York, but uh, moved here from New Jersey. We're both here about 20 years. And Nicole is a journalist, a good friend, just somebody who I like with a lot of integrity. And she's been doing since the beginning of the war, a lot of independent broadcasting uh, at her website, nickjan.com, N-I-C-J-A-N.com. And I, I got to see her filming a bunch of stuff while we were down on the border, but I didn't even get to see what she did yet. So I'm looking forward to that. But I guess I'm going to get to share some of that now because I invited Nicole to join me to talk about what what were the top 10 impressive or important or earth-shattering in a good or in a bad way, things that we experience. Um, If you've been following Inspiration from Zion, Nicole has been with us twice before. Once we did, a, I think, a year ago, a recap of of the top 10 prophetic news items for 2022. So we were doing that. We did that with Emily Jones. And then earlier this year, we did an important... Uh, piece together just actually just as the war broke out Nicole you remember it was about the um, increasing number of assaults and attacks on Christians um, in Jerusalem particularly the old city and because you are married into an Armenian family with long time roots here in Jerusalem it was important for have you on that conversation Um, I don't ever plan to bring people back multiple times but this is Divine Providence, as they say, and it's going to be a good conversation. Nicole, it's always a pleasure. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much. And I have to say, it's an honor. I know you mentioned that before, that you don't have guests, you know, more than once. And every and I, 
So I am honored. I have to say the 2022 wrap up feels like yesterday. Wow. And yeah. yet we're like worlds away. We have totally different, you know, top 10 stories to report now. And, uh, but anyway, it's such a pleasure to be here. It was great to uh, go on that trip with you. And it's really, it's been, it's great to know you. It's great to have yes. you as a friend. So this is awesome. Thank you. Yeah, this is just a conversation among friends, a recap, a Monday morning debriefing after the game type thing. And I wanted to do it while it was still fresh. Let, let me, before I ask you to, to start listing what were the top things and we'll discuss them and see how your top 10 and my top 10 overlap. Let's just lay out for people where we went. We first had a military escort into a community called Nativ Asara which is smack on the Gaza border, on the north side of the Gaza border. Um, and I'm not even going to say any more than that, because we, we may talk about what's going on and what we ate from the tree and all that other all that other stuff. Then we went to the site of the Nova Music Festival next to Kibbutz Raim. And again, I'm not going to talk about that, but it was already after dark when we were there. And we ended up in Sterot, which is the largest city on the Gaza border with about 35,000 residents at its closest to the Gaza border, uh, a kilometer away. And we spent, I lost track of time. It was a good two hours there. Um, and that was pretty intense. Um, I don't know if you made your list in any particular order, Nicole, but let's start at the top. What 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 was most okay. saying impressive? And I don't know if that's the right, even the right word to use. Well, I know, or depressive. Um, actually, so my list, it's interesting when you said, you know, what was your top 10? I was like, well, I wouldn't, you know, I, I didn't think I would have had 10. But I actually, because I was taking notes, uh, actually, on my phone, you know, like I, I took notes in notes. And so I went through and I did you get a top 10 very easily, actually. And it's, it's in chronological order. So um, I would say, and because I, I can't say what's the most, you know, what was the most overwhelming. There was, oh, there were, maybe I could, but I will, I'm just going to go in order, uh, chronological order, because um, it's kind of tells a story as well. Uh, but so one of the first things that impressed me was one of the soldiers that was escorting us, how he said like on October 7th, how he jumped in the car and he, he's an electrician, you know, he's, he's in the, you know, he's not a, an active soldier. He's in the reserves. So on October 7th, he was not a soldier, but he assumed he was going to be called up. And he jumped in his electrician van. And along the way, uh, he picked up, he picked people up along the way. And they somehow got the name. Maybe you remember exactly how the Pikachu unit. He had a Pikachu on, yeah, his, on his van. On his van. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and so it's, you know, he talked about how uh, he picked up two more soldiers who were hitchhiking on their way down that they also got called up on that Saturday. And they, um, they had their own weapons. But he said, that, you know, when they were driving down, it was like a zombie movie, but like a bad zombie movie that then exaggerates everything and is even worse than a bad zombie movie. And he said that was their reality. They were driving, you know, through um, casualties, you know, on th there were cars that were torched. There were bodies in the road. 
and they encountered, they, they intended to get somewhere, but it was along the way. They kept encountering more and more um, uh, terrorists that were out there armed and, and had to fight. And uh, he's a sniper. So, uh, you know, I think at some point um, they did have like they set up their um, they uh, they set up his van and he was sniping at some point. But it was I mean, it was just like to hear from him kind of what you see in the news and to hear somebody who actually walked through it and for him to explain it to us so clearly uh, was that that was a. the first that was number one that stood out to me yeah and when you were just beginning that sentence and to hear from somebody who explained it so the word i was going to use was vividly um Mm -hmm. it was almost as if we and you and i have been absorbed for a hundred and plus days uh right and and it's Mm -hmm. not like a day is going by that we're not completely absorbed in this and yet what he the dimension that he added was extraordinary for me, not on, wasn't on my list, but when he spoke about looking into and going into one of those concrete bus shelters near the music festival where people had been butchered and slipping and falling among the bodies, I'm sorry for that being as vivid as it is for the listeners, but that was also out of, out of one of those horror zombie zombie movies. Uh, I'm glad mm-hmm. you mentioned that. Um, can I ask yeah. though? You know what you you put it out there, and and we'll we'll and I don't know if this is on your top ten list or not, but so I don't forget. You said the word overwhelming. What was the most overwhelming? You you hesitated on that. The most overwhelming of the of things I don't know. that we experienced. If I could rewind the com yeah, rewind the conversation. Um. I think the most over it's real that's hard to say because there were there was a lot that was I was there was two things I was overwhelmed with uh, I was I, I think the ca- casualties are continually overwhelming but what I wasn't expected to be overwhelmed by was the fact that in the north of that there's still fighting going on in the north of Gaza that was um then we heard it so i think that was overwhelming just in the sense that um i wasn't expecting that and also because it's not necessarily what you have here in the news uh or that we've heard that it's under control etc and then the other thing that was overwhelming was the information that they told us about how they were how hamas like the the extent of planning yes. by hamas So that those two things are are definitely they were definitely on on my list and yeah, yeah so, yeah, I, so I don't back. know yeah what about you I mean right so that I want to come back to the fighting that we heard and and the and, ha- and what we heard right how how do you hear fighting what that sounds like but um but for me on the, I also went chronologically and the thing oh okay that, the thing that came to mind first was exactly what you just noted how. It was so clear from even without him telling us this, both him and the security uh, person who's responsible for security in this now abandoned community, Nativa Asara, how it was so clear 
that this was not just planned and planned long in advance, but planned quite meticulously from flying in three of their Nukba terrorists, the, the, the most elite of their terrorist unit, fight, flying them in on motorized hang gliders, well-armed, and that they had backup guys who, were, yes. who also flew in on these motorized hang gliders with backup. They weren't necessarily armed themselves, but they had power bars and ammunition. Um, also looking, when we were sitting, we, we had two vantage points that we stood at. The first one, I kept looking at the fields and the greenhouses and listening. I don't know if it was sheep. I guess it was probably sheep, not goats. But you could hear the the the, the animals in the distance as part of this community as we heard the fighting going on, standing in this abandoned community. And then the next spot, when we moved a little bit to the west, it was haunting and vivid to me at the time how close that is to what was the era's crossing, which until October 7th had been the location where civilians would come across the border every day by the thousands to go to work. And, and I'd been inside there. It's like a small airport terminal. And I've been outside. I've seen people coming back from Israel into Gaza with Ikea bags. And you see medical transports. And it was so clear that this was planned to overwhelm the Eris crossing, control it, then, then, um, then target the infrastructure, like all of the electricity. When we learned that in Nativ HaAsara, and I don't think we're sharing anything that is out of school or, or secret. We, the terrorists know what they did. We know what they did. But they knew to disable the electricity so that there wouldn't be able to be communication among mm-hmm. the rapid response team of which we were hosted by the head. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the, the, the meticulousness of how that was planned is is still dumbfoundingly overwhelming. Yes. And all of those different points are my two, two, three, two, three and four, or my <laughs> second, third, and fourth um, uh, because I was, yeah, I think I was, I think we've been overwhelmed by the casualties and the barbarity and, you know, the constant stories that come out that you can't keep up with. But on that day, I have to say, I, I was overwhelmed by all of the information that I still didn't know. And, uh, you right. know, there, you know, we've been following this news like 24 seven, and yet there's still so many stories and there's so many uh, details. And so these were quite a, a few of them, you know, they, they, and also I, as much as it sounded like we were getting secret information, they knew we were filming them and some of the True. women were putting on True. Facebook live and just going, you know, right there. So, and they knew, and they were okay with that. So I, you know, I think it is, it's okay that we're talking about this. They would have told us otherwise. And I hope that they are accurate, you know, that these guys were accurate and accurate and giving us accurate and precise and official information. Yeah. yeah. But, but yes, yeah, so uh, on top of that, so the communications for sure. So they took down the communications. So that's um, one thing. And um, also, you know, when they said um, what there was something that, I asked um, how uh, 
how is it that three only three armed men overwhelmed an entire Moshav, you know, that community, Nativ well, twelve hundred people, right? Um, no, the three men on Nativ no. Asera. Oh, the, there are twelve hundred people at in, in that the community, I think. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought twelve hundred. You said twelve hundred. I thought that's the death count of the no, whole. No, no. Yeah, okay. Uh, I don't know. I, but 17 were killed. And I guess yes. my question was, how did three kill, you know, end up killing 17 there? I know there, there were three more from that community that were killed elsewhere uh, in another attack at the beach, actually. But and and, you know, the, and he said because he's one of the soldiers with us, um, he is from that community, he lives there. And he said that is the question we're asking ourselves. How did that happen? And he said that, like, first of all, there were a few obvious things like, OK, yes, they took out the the communications so the people can they, they weren't effectively getting themselves to the right places. But still, that was a surprising number. And he said we were too dependent on on our intelligence. And the intelligence, even that they got that day, was when they did catch some of of the like. All right. So you said so they're each unit from Hamas had um, the armed men and then a backup of 30. They were like units of 30 that went to each community. Right. So like, let's say 30 to Nativa Asara, 30 to Beri, 30 to, you know, each one. Maybe there were more for some of them. But when they caught some of these guys, because some yes. of them were unarmed, three were armed and 30 were unarmed, this is what he told us that they caught them and they interrogated them and they said, it's just us. Like, it's just like, you know, they didn't know, apparently Correct. they didn't know they weren't told they were, they weren't told that it's a whole big like Armageddon. They were told like, you guys are going in, this is your unit and you're going here. They didn't seem to know that there were like how many groups of 30 Banning right. out all across the south right. of, of Israel. Right. Until so, until that day and until they one of them said when, when they even arrived at the border, they didn't even know that it was not an exercise and it was actually the real thing. Yeah. Right, right. So that was that that's in my top five. That's on your well, list. anyway, I was okay. yeah, it was on Let, that's on my list. I wanna take a quick break for one of our announcements and then come back and pick it up. But I, I, I wasn't on my list, but as long as you mentioned the numbers in India Basra, I want to talk about what I saw as a miracle there. So let's take a quick break. Okay. Friends, Israel's at war and the war may get worse before it gets better, much worse. It's going to be a long war because the enemy is the epitome of evil. It's not just a matter of overcoming troops on a battlefield, but overcoming a theology an ideology, an evil one. While the Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation has been overwhelmed with the support of so many donations to the Israel Emergency Campaign, there's so much more that needs to be done. We've invested your donations that we've received so far strategically to make the biggest impact possible, whether helping with soldiers and their equipment and personal needs, to providing civilian security for outlying border communities, to relocating and settling several families from near the Gaza war zone, launching the global petition drive to support Israel in the face of pressure for a ceasefire and long-term needs for at-risk children, traumatized now more than ever before. Please take a moment to pause this conversation right now 
and go to love.genesis123.co and donate generously. We value your trust and we will keep all donors informed about how and where your donations are being used to contribute to make the biggest impact possible. And when you use that link, love.genesis123.co, you can also send your prayers and words of encouragement to Israelis of all backgrounds, just sending your love, something that we need so desperately. Thank you, and God bless you and your loved ones. Okay, Nicole, so I'm glad you mentioned that there were uh, 17 killed there at Nativa Asara because I looked at that out of, I didn't know at the time necessarily that there were 1,200 people, but I, I hate to say it, only 17 people because my goodness, it, especially with the dis, this, the disabling of communications, it could have been so much more of a massacre. Uh, there, yeah. especially because of the, eventually the plan, it looks like that they were going to be assaulted both by air and then with backup forces coming in who had broken through the era's crossing, more or less timed to go together. Um, there was also a miracle was on my list. Another miracle. If you remember, I, I don't remember who was saying it to us, but when they came through the era's crossing, they fanned out to Nativa Asara, they fanned out to Yad Mordechai, which is a kibbutz a little bit to the north and west, um, where where which makes most of Israel's honey. They fanned out to Sterot, and there was a force heading to Tel Aviv that was heading north along the coastal road to Tel Aviv. And I don't remember who said it, but thank God that there was apparently a um, heli- helicopter that struck down the terrorists on the road. But they would have imagined... If we were in these little communities and Sterot was the big city of 35,000, six miles, seven miles, 10 miles to the north, if they had only made it to Ashkelon, which is a city of 100,000 people in one apartment building, they could have done. So there was a tremendous yeah. miracle that took place there. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we'll probably hear about a lot of miracles. It might be a little too hard to handle right now for some people, but but yeah, I yeah, that was that was one of them for sure. Yeah. What else was on your list, Nicole? I don't know. We've covered a few right now, I think. Yeah, we did. Uh, we went right through. Okay, so regarding well planned, here was another thing. Um they had he said a license plate. This is that what I have written, but now I got to go back and check my notes. And, and they had a license plate made up that said you ran out of time or something like that. Do you remember this? And also oh. in the house. Yeah. Like he said, that's how well it pla- well planned it was. And also in the homes that they attacked, there were messages written in Hebrew, like your luck ran out and regards from Gaza. And he said that the fact that they had, I think they they brought spray paint and that they knew enough Hebrew to leave these messages that he was saying that this is uh, a very, this was a very planned uh, attack in in that sense, um, down to the menacing details. But he did, he said something about a license plate as well that, that said that was riding through Israel that said you ran out of time. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I should, I would love to go back and ask him more detailed questions. I think we were all like asking so many questions. And like I said, it was just overwhelming the amount of information. So, correct. correct. Yeah. Um, oh, dear. I, I should be making notes on our conversation, not just because I was going to. Well, I want to ask you to go back about the sound of fighting. Yeah, Something that's my else. next one. So, so let's, of... so, so let's talk about that. What are the, I, I yeah. actually posted on Facebook, I think I got home. I dropped you off and then I got home another 40 minutes after that. It was pretty late. It was almost midnight. Um, but that, that to me, I, I was overwhelmed by what we heard. How about how about you describe that? Well, how do we know that there was fighting? Right. So uh, so then at, still on that Moshav, Nativ HaAsara, they um, took us closer you know, we were just what 200 meters from the wall. At the, you know, there's a wall between that part of Gaza and Israel, and we were just 200 meters from there. And we heard a lot of artillery fire. We saw a plane go by, um, a jet, uh, an Israeli jet dropping flares. We saw smoke rising. Now, we were on the northern side of Gaza, and the entire news ha has been, and the announcements from the Israeli army is that the fighting has moved to the south, and that the north is under control for the most part, and the, that uh, troops have been concentrating in the south. And so we were hearing, you know, I wasn't expecting to hear so much, and it was right there. And there was the sound of a vehicle, and I kept looking to see if a car was driving by. Oh, yeah. And he finally, you know, like, after I finally asked, I'm like, well, why do I keep hearing this vehicle? And I don't see anything. And he goes, oh, that's on the other side. That's like, those are tanks, like, on the other side right. of the wall in Gaza. So uh, I was very surprised. Now, while that's happening by the Eris Crossing and, you know, in the north, and I think um, there, there was one... Another sound, you know, that you, I, I um, can't be the one to tell you what those specific sounds are. I'm not a military expert, but um, we were listening together. And the one man, you know, said one of the soldiers that were with us, he said, oh, oh, that was a bunker buster bomb. Right. And I was like, wow. OK, so it turns out that the IDF has found tunnels and tunnel networks and it looks like that they were back up in the north after having uncovered some more tunnels up there and were in the process of destroying them and the other thing by the way i'm glad that was an excellent description i think but the other thing that that i heard a lot was actual gunfire uh, machine gunfire yeah and it, nonstop. And, and right nonstop, and it was just as if it was normal background was the artillery fire I think we could distinguish the the firing that was coming from within Gaza and the firing that was coming from outside of Gaza into Gaza. And I had experienced that before. But the machine gun fire told me that we weren't just targeting things from a distance, but there was actual fighting up close. And then, and I'm so glad you mentioned the plane dropping flares, because I we thought it was cool, right? Oh, there's an airplane. Let's take pictures and video of that. We didn't understand at the out, outset what the flares were about. That was to to be decoys for the other planes that were going to come in and bomb the targets. Now I know a little bit, and I probably I won't say much more, just from my son serving in Gaza, a little bit about how they're operating. And what's clear is that they, the the, the units that were involved in the gunfire, must have said to someone up above, and and we can be talking about multiple 
entities up above, including the Air Force, uh, that, hey, in this building at this coordinates, there's terrorist fire. This is the building you need to take out. And the and and we saw we saw the flares and then we heard the boom. Yeah, that was there was something cool about that, but shocking all the same because all of us had heard no northern gaza is under control yeah and 200 300 400 yards away where 200 yards was the was the was the border but 400 yards quarter of a mile right it's it it's wasn't right far nope. it wasn't far and i was surprised at some point i was like well i i was a little surprised that they let us stay there and they're like no 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 <laughs> if you're worried um you know i mean if, if, if it was something to worry about we would definitely get you out of here and i'm like well i i mean i'm not worried but i'm just kind of surprised you're letting us stay here because i feel like we're having we, we have a front row and though we couldn't see anything uh you know because it, it is a wall but i was it, but that was very surprising and you know i have to say like what a, the israeli military has a reputation for you know being the stronger military let's say in this case but Hamas is not um, defeated. And I think that that might be surprising to a lot of people, uh, despite the destruction that we saw in the beginning when it was just the Air Force going in and just dropping bomb after bomb and buildings coming down. You know, it's the, all the images that we saw back in the beginning of, of this part of the phase of the war. But uh, then when they started the, the ground war, you you saw like there's still uh, rocket launches there. There's still this fighting like they're still going from building to building and sniping at Israeli soldiers and you know you there's it, it's still going on it's not yeah. over it's not near over like we thought maybe it would be yeah there was something on my list um which you actually I want to see I don't know why I'm so intrigued to see the picture because it's a picture of a car right but we were told you asked the question at the first site about mm-hmm. A gentleman, a man named Adi, who was yeah. part of the rapid response team and who was killed that day. And I don't remember. Maybe you'll tell the story. I don't remember how you knew about it and what your connection was. You know what? You it's on my list, but you tell the story. OK. All right. Well, it's very it's it's sad. Um, a woman I know, uh, it's it's her her ex-husband. So he's remarried now. And, and you know, um but they have the, you know, it's, it's their children, you know, from their marriage, the, the woman I know. Um, and, uh, anyway, they, they have mutual children. So, so they had, they had a life together. Anyway, she told me that, uh, he was one of the first ones killed, uh, on October 7th, actually. And he, so I, I was able to, I, and I never heard of this Moshav before until she told me that uh, the story um, about her ex-husband. And I said, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe, you know, I know somebody personally who knows somebody that, you know, involved. So he was part of the first response team. And he lives, I, th- I think it was on the north side of the Moshav. But what happened was that because uh, he he's in the first responder, so he grabbed his weapon and he tried to find out, okay, where's everybody gathering? But there was no communication. Remember, we talked about that they knocked out the communication. They knocked out electricity and cell service. So he had no way to communicate. So he said, I'm just going to drive to the center of the town and find them. And he drove there. And um, 
and ended up like he parked his car and then he ended up getting caught uh, by one of the terrorists and he ended up getting killed right around there. And later after we were you know, done with the tour of the Moshav and we're, we're leaving um, the, you know, I, I rode with the, one of the soldiers back and he told me, he said, oh, you were asking about Adit. This is his car. And he said, it's been here since October 7th. This is where he drove to. And he's like, and this is it. And we don't. So later on, actually, unbeknownst to, you know, us that day, his ex-wife told me they still don't know where his keys are. Oh, They're just gone. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, it's, um, you know, it's a, a, you know, one of the many, many sad stories and, uh, actually his current wife, um, I just saw, I just found out like she had a business, um, there and she would sell, like she had a market, like a, an open market where you just come and buy stuff, you know, like, I, I don't think she worked there, but people come buy fruits, vegetables and stuff like that and, and, uh, pay, like honor system pay anyway she's out of business of course and so she's um looking to become a tour guide uh she's looking to take the touring course but as you you know as we all know that's not necessarily something you can do um you know anyway there's no tourism now in israel but right. so anyway they, it's just like a really sad but to see the car i actually took video and sent it to, um you know i sent it to uh, my friend um so anyway it felt Sad. to me, and we're American, so I can use American analogies. It felt to me like the car there has become somewhat iconic, like a Plymouth Rock or mm-hmm. or I don't know what else. Um, so, so uh. some other some other thing. And I wondered mm-hmm. if it was okay that in memory of a D who was killed, one of the seventeen that day, who went out there to fight off the terrorists. His mm-hmm. car is now going to become this new, I don't know if memorial is the right word, but mm-hmm. memorial, or mm-hmm. if there's just no one around to move it, and that's not a priority now. Did you have any, mm-hmm. did that impress you? I, it, seem, it seemed like it was it was there, uh, at least for now, uh, for me- memory. Um, you know, no people don't live there right now, just the army's using it. So I, I think a lot of people don't want to touch things in general. They want to leave it as it, it is because it really, it, it's like you can see time stood still. Let's also talk about the sukkah that's still yes. up because it was, well, of course, Well, explain what a sukkah is sukkah. for listeners who don't know. True. So, so the Feast of Tabernacles, um, and during the Feast of Tabernacles, which is called Sukkot in Hebrew, that's when, um, you know, that that the Jews are to build uh, booths or these, you know, sukkahs uh, to symbolize, you know, living out in the desert or living out, you know, or living like in the wilderness. Like, and so, so, well, you could tell that part better than me, but in any case, (laughs) that is what um, everybody here in Israel, this is what a, a lot of people will do to observe Sukkot is to build their tent or their sukkah uh, in their backyard or on their balcony so that they can have meals and sleep there, you know, to observe the week long holiday, which is usually in the fall. Well, it's always in the fall, but it's usually, so this, it, it, the dates go according to the Jewish calendar. So it changes every year. So this year, the last day, which is also called Simcha Torah, which is, I guess, the joy of the Torah, you would say. Yeah. And it was supposed to be, was 
celebrated on October 7th, was observed on October 7th, but that is the day, the last day of Sukkot, that's the, last, that's the day that, uh, that the in, infiltration occurred. So people still obviously had their sukkahs up. And we saw them because what if you're in a, you know, we're evacuated, you would not have time to take them down. Yeah. You wouldn't have thought to take it down. So anyway, uh, you saw a lot of things like that, that just kind of st- where time stood still. And I think that these car will be one of those things. It's right in the center of the town. And I don't know for how long they'll leave it or how long after, but the residents aren't even there yet. So I'm sure I think it'll stay yeah. until they get back. And you and I had a little snack because we parked down the road from where that we saw that sukan mm-hmm. park next. To, I couldn't even remember the name of the fruit. It's so exotic. The kum- Is it kumquats? Yeah, yeah, which kumquat. were delicious. And we just picked them off the tree and ate them. Um, yeah. I, I, I never done that before. I felt a little guilty because this is someone's tree, yet there were many, many, many right. fruit trees that just sat there with nothing yeah no no one was picking them you know i had heard there was something about um you know people feeling guilty but at the same time the fruit needs to be picked and they were saying it's actually like um people were more than happy that that this was happening so um like that you know if the soldiers especially were going by to get so anyway it's just interesting because you do kind of feel guilty because you're like you feel like you're trespassing but at the same time you also like you know the 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 harvest needs to take place yeah. so yeah so anyway so it's or just, the fruit's it's just crazy. gonna right or it's just gonna fall and rot on the ground and yeah I mean, to the point that it was so yummy i've had kumquats before but it was so yummy to just pick them off the tree and eat them that I would even just drive back there just to pick them from that tree again. It, yeah, that was awesome. totally inappropriate. Like right? that would be, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. That would be like going to, I don't know. I can't even think of it. I can't think of a, an appropriate analogy. Um, yeah. One other thing that I, I don't know as we're progressing in our lists, I, we, we, I'm curious where, where you are, but one of the things that I noticed specifically there, Oh, it was, it was multiple times. In fact, um, was the oh and you and i spoke about this and we should probably come clean because on the way from jerusalem to tel aviv we talked about well what's the purpose of these solidarity trips the people we picked up from atlanta israel coalition came and that they were wonderful um but i just thought oh, i just don't know is it for them or is it for us us meaning the people who were impacted them meaning people who were coming from overseas and want to help and what I saw, and I was really pleased to, to to see, was actual genuine appreciation from the people that we were with. They wanted to tell their stories. When when um, um, Cheryl was handing out those little blue slips of paper that children had written notes of encouragement, they were all really grateful and moved by by some of them. And I came home. I don't know if I had told you, but my wife has had a good friend who was in visiting in advance of bringing her own tour. And the day before I was saying, I don't even know how impactful these trips are. And the next morning I said, nope, her name's Susan. I said, Susan, I think I'm wrong. I think they are impactful. Did you catch that? Uh, I did. I mean, I think it's so interesting that, you know, I I kept thinking like, okay, we, we should go. Okay, these guys have given us enough of their time. 
But yeah. they they weren't giving us that kind of body language or hints no. or anything. No. I think we could have stayed there for another two hours. Yeah, they weren't trying to leave, and no. I was like, I was very surprised and and grateful. But it seems like they they enjoyed it. They like, I mean, they enjoy. I don't know, like that's not the right word. It was therapeutic. Yeah, it was therapeutic, and it's always surprising to me how interest, interested people are in telling their stories. They need to tell their stories. It's not like you're imposing on them. They really want to tell you. So um, so I think that's what we saw in action, yeah. and I think that was, uh, you know, plus one for the solidarity trips. Yeah, and, and I think if they didn't want to, then A, they wouldn't be there doing it, and, and mm-hmm. I'm sure there are other people who don't want to, and we need yeah. to respect them. Um, let, yeah. Nicole, let's take another quick break um, and then come back. And I'm curious to know where your list picks up. Okay. The restoration of Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel was an earth shattering event. For Christians, it was a confirmation that God always keeps his covenantal promises. Today, we are blessed to see God's fingerprints in the modern miracle of the land of Israel playing out in our lives among the people and in the state of Israel. This year, On the occasion of Israel's 75th anniversary, the Genesis 123 Foundation has been privileged to bring together 75 Christian leaders from around the world to lend their unique voices, sharing their personal faith experiences relating to Israel and their in-depth insight into Israel's history and spiritual significance, creating an historical, one-of-a-kind, high-end coffee table book, Israel the Miracle. Israel the Miracle's stunning imagery will fill your home with the hope of fulfilled promises and conversations about Israel. It's a perfect gift to anyone for any occasion, and most of all, to yourself. You'll also be a blessing to Israel, knowing that the proceeds will go to bless Israelis of all backgrounds. Be a part of Israel the Miracle and bring the land, the people, and the state of Israel into your heart and into your home. Visit IsraelTheMiracle.com to get your limited edition copy today. Okay. Yeah, that, I'm glad we just talked about that, Nicole. Um, I think that was, I think that was really meaningful. Um, and I and I apologize in advance to anyone who I offended or misrepresented or dismissed um, on these solidarity trips. They have to be done right, but I think uh, I think they have a lot of value. Value. And, and I we think you're. About, and and not from not for now, but we also talked about putting something together. So anyone who wants information on that can email me. Um, what else is on your list, Nicole? Okay, so this is actually number six. Um, it was that when I jumped in the car with the soldier to go, you know, to head back, um, he got, of course, like out of habit, I put on my seatbelt, and he went, "Ah, uh, no, don't do that." And he's like we have a thing here we don't wear seatbelts and I said well what like how but it's gonna ding and he goes no 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 he's like don't worry he put something in it like he put another clip in there to keep the the uh thing from beeping but he said if there's a a rocket alert you have 10 seconds and he said you don't want to waste any of your 10 seconds in unbuckling yourself I was like all right good to know so they don't wear seatbelts there for their own safety reasons, actually. Right. Counterintuitive, right. but brilliant. That's a tremendous paradox. We also had that experience at the end of the night in Stero when we were driving with Elor, and he also sat in the in the passenger seat talking to us all, and, and I didn't have one of those cool little clip things, so we heard the ding, 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 ding the whole time. 
Um, That's funny. And and on the way, yeah. remember on the way down, we talked about whether it made any sense in the event of a, a rocket attack, an air raid siren. Does it even make any difference to get out mm-hmm. of your car and dump in the and jump in the ground and lie down and put your hands over your head as if that's going to do anything? Or just keep driving, and I still don't have an answer to that. But they seem, uh-huh. they seem maybe that maybe they're just smarter. They have the experience that they know they got ten seconds, and you have to take cover. I guess. Yeah. Well, I I guess you know getting out and covering your head at least. I mean, look, if you get a direct hit, whether you're in the car or outside, you're done anyway. But maybe, maybe you're protecting yourself a little bit from shrapnel. Maybe, but it depends on the, what kind of shrapnel and the velocity of the shrapnel. Because yeah. even if it's a ball bearing, it's going through your hand into your skull. Right. Again, sorry, right. sorry for being graphic, everybody. Right. So we have no answer. No, no answer. And <laughs> okay. we shouldn't know, but other people do live with this. And and and, and yeah. that jumps ahead. Um, there's a picture that I took. Do you remember? All, I, I'm, it's not on my list, but when we were in Cero with Elor, he took out of his the front seat of his car the piece of the uh iron dome rocket that fell in his backyard which is why remember why the protocol is and my kids i ridicule the protocol and my kids ridicule me that you're supposed to be in your bomb shelter for 10 minutes after an air raid siren because shrapnel can continue to fall from the sky and i'm like eh, come on but i I have to i have to rethink all of that now yeah, yeah. And and I did see a video of some guys walking in Tel Aviv within the 10 minutes after, like the sirens ended. And so they went out and there's a video of them walking and like split second after they passed there, a shra- some shrapnel landed right behind them. Right. Split second. So yeah, I from guess that there's... altitude, anything that's up that high, even if it's plastic, is going to hurt at best right right um i i wanted to move on to my list but but in in keeping chronologically before we do that i want to know what's next on your list so i don't jump ahead of you okay and i i really could i can wrap it up quick but let's just say this is a uh, a crazy one but there are dogs from gaza that got in on october 7th and they are running wild around southern israel Tons of dogs. There are also cats proliferating in and taking over like the, at least the Moshav we were on. There's so many cats out there that um, I I guess th- just living outside, you know, just uh, like I would think like it's, it's not normal. It looks like a ghost town, but with the cats. And then there's also the dogs. And we saw dogs in various places just running wild. And they had gotten in from Gaza and they're here now. And that's it. Now they're Israeli dogs. <laughs> um, well, yippee. Uh, yeah, the cats I noticed and there, I made the observation then that there are more cats in the Tivasara than there are people, people. in the Tivasara, yeah. which is crazy. Yep. Uh, and the dogs, and I'm glad you said that because that moves to where we were in Raim, the site of the music festival, which was mm-hmm. dark. It's um, you picture anyone can picture. Again, I, I have videos. We have pictures. If anyone wants to be in touch, we'll send them. But um, but it was a, a a dark field lit by headlights of our cars, and anyone can picture that anywhere in the world, and and. Several, 
wild dogs running around. Yeah. At mm-hmm. least. Um, Raim was Raim. This was your first time in Raim, right? Yeah. The music festival. So it's an yeah. open field. There were about 370 people who were slaughtered that day in different ways on the field, in the bus shelters, in their cars. Um, because we were driving after dark, we didn't really get to see what I had seen previously, which is the scorched road where cars had stood and had been burned with people in them. Um, but I felt when I was there, I don't know if you walked through the pictures, and if so, maybe you can describe that, but I felt like I was somewhere in between Woodstock and Auschwitz. Oh, wow. Did you walk through the pictures? Do I need to? I did. I did walk through them. I I mean, I, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I honestly, I, I walked through that and I was so, um, I, I, I can't imagine, like I tried to stand there and imagine you know, being targeted on October 7th or being here or, or experiencing the sirens or whatever. And I just can't imagine it. And I, I walked through there and I was like, I need to come back. I want to come in the day as well. Yeah. I want to see this. Uh, we've seen so many videos, you know, that came out from, from that time. And, and I just, I still stand there and say, this can't be the place. But I mean, the pictures, you see the pictures, you see families have come, they've already put candles or um flowers you know because so the field i should say all right so the, the in that field where these uh mostly young people were attacked and there were i think a thousand of them uh, and it was an overnight concert slash rave festival a concert annual festival um they um were attacked that day paragliders uh guys in 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 uh, trucks coming in uh, pickup trucks and uh you know like you said 370 were slaughtered um they told us the soldiers told us that those who ran to the road oh yeah were ran killed west. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah and those who ran east yes. uh, through the fields had a better chance of living uh because the roads were then manned and overrun by right. terrorists right. um and uh, so what they've done now as a memorial is they put stakes of all the people who were killed. And I think also some many were kidnapped from there and with their pictures. So the stake with the picture and it's about their pictures there. It's about eye level, you know, so you walk through and you see the faces of the people and imagine that, you know, that's a large number of killed and kidnapped from that area. So it's 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 a little bit incomprehensible, I have to say. It's a lot incomprehensible, and 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 when we were told, I didn't know this the first time I was there, but where we were told is that more or less those metal stakes with the pictures are basic or basically where the bodies were found, and and then when um, our main host was, he actually he pulled me aside and he let me look through the night vision on his on his rifle and and shine the flashlight, which works long long distance he showed me 100 200 yards out that there were still more of these pictures and stakes because people if people didn't see the images you see young people just running and running for the fields and also goes back to that that same thing you opened up with kind of the zombie movie just running Mm -hmm. and running um and and about 370 i mean do the math 
uh, out of 1,200, so nearly a quarter of the mm -hmm. people that day were were killed and about 50 of almost 250 hostages taken, so 20% of the hostages taken from there. Um, it's really quite... Uh, it's really quite shocking. And then because it was last week and because this week is the holiday Tubashvat, which is the new the festival of the celebration of New Year of the Trees. So now I read today that people are already starting to go down and plant new forests of trees to bring life back to this place that was so overwhelmed by death in memory oh, wow. of all of those who were who were slaughtered. Wow. Oh, that's heavy. Yeah. What else did you have, Nicole? What are we, are we still? In okay, Rome? well, moving to Stirot. Yes. Uh, one of that that was Stirot is a city of thirty five thousand, and it is one of the most populated cities around the Gaza border. And it's a proper city. It's not a kibbutz. It's not a moshav. It's not a farming community. It's a city. Um, they. They get a lot of rockets. They've been having nonstop rockets for 20 years. It's, um, you know, it has overwhelmed the city. But on this day, that you know, they, they experienced, of course, what everybody else did, which was like something they never experienced before. Uh, but one thing that it, it did impress me was that that it probably would have been worse, that there would have been a higher number of casualties had Hamas not decided to focus on the police station. So oh. they they focused on the police station. They went there, they targeted it. They I mean, first they drove through and they did they targeted several intersections where civilians were killed, but then they eventually they made their way to the police station and they actually controlled it at yeah. some point. And yeah. um there were many mass casualties at the police station. However, the fact that it was a police station, the fact that there were then police that responded as well that were not in the station but responded to it meant that there was more of a fair fight. And I think Elor said this and I, I, that, well, if he didn't, it's kind of what I gathered or what I assumed or presumed from from this whole lesson was that had that. They led like because they were led to the police station, um, they didn't focus on the civilians that might have been out in the streets. I mean, there were slaughters. Don't get me wrong. There was the bus stop where I think about 15 to yeah. 20 people were killed. Yeah. And there were, you know, people in, in the intersection driving their car through a traffic circle and they were shot and killed. So, yeah, there were definitely civilian casualties. But I think it might have been a lot worse had most of their forces not been concentrated at the police station and at the police station, there was more of a, a fair response. Like it was more of a fair game, fair fight, as opposed to just going to people standing at a bus stop. Yeah. Interesting observation. Oh. Uh, the police station, he showed us all across our visit there before and after pictures um, and videos of, of these things that were taken from uh Closed circuit TV, and I don't even, and maybe some from the terrorists. I don't even remember where they were all from. But the police station, I'd been in there several times, and they used to have in the parking lot a what I called the Kassam Museum back in the day when firing rockets at Steyrot was novel 20 years ago, 15 years ago. They would save the rockets and they would write in chalk where, when it was fired, who fired it, um, and where it landed. And, and that was sort of a, a museum of it. I remember. 
in the 2008 presidential campaign, Obama came there and was photographed at the at that police station. But what was shocking to me, because of how they overran and controlled the police station, they had to bring in helicopter gunships, I think, to destroy the police station in order to get all the terrorists. And now right. it's an empty lot. Now it's just a, if you didn't know that there was once a building there, you would just see a dirt lot. Yep. Yep, that was shocking. Right? Yeah. Um, when we were driving, I've also got to stay wrote now as well. Um, I, I, oh, yeah, look at this. That My ninth point, I also mentioned the, I also wrote down the police. Um, but I, I was not expecting the tour that we got that day. As a matter of fact, we were, I didn't even know when we left Jerusalem that morning when, where exactly we were going to be going. I, I knew more or less we would be ending. I, Elor is a, uh, is a guy who I, who I work with because he's part of a nonprofit that the Genesis 123 Foundation has been funding and will continue to fund working with at-risk youth. But he was also that day um, one of the first responding ambulance drivers. What did he say? He did like 15 ambulance runs taking people out and he oh. never encountered terrorists directly. He heard them. They were all around, but he didn't he didn't ever have his life directly in danger um but i was i was overwhelmed at how this city again it could have been much worse but mm -hmm. that this city city had they focused many more people there maybe the whole city would have been laid to waste like what's happening in gaza now i don't know but there would have been many many more casualties right Right. It was just a, an object lesson just to see it through his eyes. And since he is, a was he a paramedic exactly? Yeah, but, you know, yeah. And, um, you know, seeing it from his perspective and of course his story as well, like, you know, how he observed Shabbat. So he didn't know right away that anything was happening. He just heard a siren. He was like, oh yeah, same, same, same. But then, um, you know, whatever had happened that caused him to say, oh, I, I have to turn on my phone. Oh, I think because because he is he was on call. So he did have to turn on his phone and then he was shocked uh, by what was happening. And uh, he may not have. No, I know people who didn't know otherwise until the end of Shabbat what was happening. So, that, you know, that he, was us. That was oh, us. We wow. Okay. Until my son came home at four o'clock that afternoon to get in his to say where I've been called up. I need to get in my uniform and take my equipment and uh, be out of here in 10 minutes. We we heard the wow. sirens. We heard the rockets blowing up over our heads, but we didn't turn on our phones because we assumed it wasn't life threatening for us. So we just went about our day sort of. Right. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. OK, well, he yeah. So that was interesting that he might have gone also without of course, in Starot, he wouldn't have known, but he knew, thank God, sooner and was able to respond. But yeah, crazy things. He had crazy stories. I just, I, they didn't make my list because I think I was overwhelmed by that yeah, point yeah, yeah. with all the information. I think he's actually coming for lunch with me to have lunch on Wednesday because we have work to do together. And, and I was glad right. to get to know him that way then. Um, Nicole, let's take one more break and then come back and begin to wrap up. Okay. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains 
to show love to soldiers who are stationed, keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill. They are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. Okay, we're in Sterot. Elor is our at-risk youth specialist, ambulance driver, very personable uh, guide. Uh, you and I had gone had been in Sterot before. I remember texting before we left wondering what we were going to do for dinner and you had said nothing's open and we were both surprised to see there was one pizza place and one shawarma place that was open but other than that nothing was open um, what else if anything makes your list from there or in general that's so funny because that was on my list that uh, <laughs> that I did see uh, a one restaurant open I didn't see the pizza place although they said there was a pizza place open but I, I was happy to see the very happy, um, elated um, men at the, you know, who the owners of the shawarma place that we stopped at because they they were they were so happy and they just looked like they have been dying to open again. That's a bad pun, but yeah, or yeah, that, but eager to to you know to reopen and to work and even so, but this but what that says is that there's enough people back there to open you know to open your business so while they haven't reopened schools and they haven't fully restarted public transportation there, there's enough people that have voluntarily decided to go back to live there and so somebody can open their business and we right. you know we were happy to eat there and to support them yeah when i had gone the first time after the war began on the first week of, of the week before thanksgiving it was much, much more of a ghost town and even more so. Honestly, I would say that there were fewer cars on the road during the daytime that day than there were even at night when we were there, which intuitively for those who were living there should be people who are at home watching TV or reading a book or whatever, you, whatever you're going to do at night. Um, and I had this very long practical quasi-philosophical conversation with the pastor I was hosting wondering will it take people coming back for the businesses to open or do the businesses need to open in order for people to come back Didn't, wow right yeah mm -hmm. right well it's going to be interesting because it they also mentioned that there it, there's a list of things that all have to happen at the same time in order to open like there has to be school Correct. There has to be public transportation. Um, obviously, like supermarkets are still open. Um, but, you know, there were a few there were a few uh, items that that 
are on the list that have to happen in order for people to move back. So I, I found that interesting. And it looks like it's going to be a tug of war before that happens, because I, I think a lot of residents are still a little skittish about going back. A lot of residents are skittish and they're angry. And and as it seems like we're daily creeping closer to some sort of uh, electoral season here with inevitable elections, probably some point this year, um, those those issues also become political campaign issues. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. Very interesting to see what what comes of it all. Um, was there anything I, I, I had one concluding point that I wanted to ask you about, but what is there something else on your list? Well, my I'm up to 10. So I have this is great. I've gone in order and we've had a lot of uh, similar things. And I'd like to hear if I miss anything. But here's my number 10. And I also it's interesting because this is chronological. But I also think this is a great conclusion to my list, because despite the massive display of hatred uh, that we saw on October 7th, specifically against Jews and Israelis, um, there was still and there is still some sign of coexistence and of hope for coexistence between um, Israelis and Arabs, between Jews and Arabs and Muslim, I don't know, and, you know, Muslims and Christians. And, um, you know, it's a mix of like nationalities and and religions all in there. But uh, Elor told a story where an Arab man, saved an Israeli woman, drove her to safety after her husband was killed. And he risked his life. And he drove, I think, toward the police station yep. as well. Yep. Yep. And and I, I think that she might have died eventually they both were of killed. her wounds. I saw they that. Were both I killed. saw that on the news here. They were both killed. And I saw a news report of um, the families coming together afterward. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So... You know, that that to me was a really touching story that he risked his life and then lost his life. Um, And, you know, just goes to show that as it's so complicated, like you can't just say all are bad or all are good. Uh, There's always in the mix of this um, whole complicated picture and mess that we have that we call the Holy Land. And the Middle East, there's always um, there are there are always flowers among the weeds. There's always weeds among the flowers, uh, depending, you know, how you're going to look at it. But this that was a great story. And I think that that kind of summed it up that despite the barbarity um, that was on display, despite the everything, the disgusting and and, uh, gross acts of this infiltration, uh, that we saw something that there, this isn't the only story, but we heard about this personally. And this really summarized the trip that just tells me that despite one through nine, there's still 10 and there's still this, this, this story. And, uh, so it was touching. And I thought this is, it's interesting that it did fall as number 10 in terms of chronology chronology, but I like how it summed it up and it still, it gives you hope for the future. How you just said it is so beautiful and it is, but it's harder now because there's a, as much as we're unified, there's also a lot more polarization and distrust of Arabs and uh, among Jews. Um, what you, uh, what when you had made the point earlier in the Tiva Asara when that, that many of the terrorists were speaking Hebrew, of course they knew Hebrew because they were, 
They had worked in Israel. They worked in these very communities. They were the spies for Hamas, and they and they plotted out who were the people who were easier to kill and not easier to kill, and who should be targeted and who shouldn't be immediately. And and mm-hmm. it, it affects where I live. It's we have in a month and a week municipal elections um, here in Israel, and and I know that that's going to be a major topic of 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 how people vote bringing Arab mm-hmm. Palestinian Arab workers back. But I'm glad you pointed that out and almost want to just conclude with that because not that things were perfect before, but, mm-hmm. but we, we, I think arguably perhaps more than ever Jews and Arabs have lived and died together in the state. Right. And been taken yeah, hostage. Yeah together yeah state. we do need to remember that yeah it's a it's very tough it's very complicated it just goes to show that it's never straightforward it's it's never all or nothing it's never as black and white um you know and and uh, i just thought wow that's uh that that was a a, a sad story um a mm. beautiful story a beautiful i don't know so it's just um Anyway, it's it's a tough place, and I always like I always say like this. This is just complicated. Just when you think you know the answer here, you'll hear something that will um, complicate things further. <laughs> Very well said. Um, I want to wrap. I mean, I, I'm I'm going to always give you the final word, but my last point was an assessment. It was a little rhetorical, an assessment of what are the needs, because I went down there as the president of the Genesis. One Two Three Foundation with members of the Atlanta Israel Coalition. They had brought a whole bunch of stuff to give out, which is also super appreciated. And we've been raising money for many, many, many projects. And and I think there we covered actually on that one day we covered soldiers, uh, civil um, soldiers, welfare, civilian security, survivors of the Reim music festival massacre and at-risk youth all in one day. And these are all things that we are raising money for. Um, and I needed to go and see it. I needed to go to demonstrate that we're, in, first of all, assess that we're putting the money into places that will make the biggest impact with the greatest integrity, but also to demonstrate to our donors that we're really doing what they entrust us to do with their money, whether it's from a dollar on up. Um, I'm less objective than that and uh, on that than you. Was there any one thing that stood out that you if you had a million dollars today, what would you do? How would you allocate that out? That this is the hardest question of the night. I have wow. no idea what I would I I don't I don't know. I mean, I think about it. I don't know. I like uh, I like what Elora is doing with the trauma, you know, um, youth youth at risk and trauma, and uh, you know that they're definitely they look like a very worthy organization. But I don't know what else is out there and what is the need. I don't I don't know. There's so much. I would yeah. I don't know the answer. Okay, fair. <laughs> a, a fair a fair answer to say you don't know the answer. Um, Nicole, before we wrap up, we've covered our top ten. We've provoked mm-hmm. each other it's been a great dialogue is there something else that's either that's missing that you wanted to say or that's come up that you just realized wait i have to add this 
No, I, I want to know if uh, you had anything on your list that I didn't have on mine that really stood out or was totally different. Um, I think, no, you know what? I think that we, it, I think that we looked at the same experiences and just approach them differently like I, I wrote stay wrote and the police station but you're the one who made the assessment that if they hadn't focused on the police station there would have been many more casualties you 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 made the observation about the dogs at the Raim uh field and and what that meant and and talking about what it was like being there coupled by my Woodstock which I wrote Woodstock to Auschwitz experience and i wrote specifically that i wanted to talk about that car left in place whether it's coincidental or whether it's now going to be an icon that's something that 50 years from now people will visit adi's car i don't know mm. i don't know i think it was a i'm so glad we had that experience together um i do need to get uh, is it on your website youtube where can people see what you broadcast uh, yes. Yeah, so if you go to my website, you can get to um, the YouTube as well, YouTube channel and Facebook where I do lives. And um, and so I'll have some of that there. I, I did a, a few lives that went to YouTube and Facebook uh, simultaneously while we were there. Uh, so it would have been more fresh and probably stuff that I don't even like I maybe mm. didn't even include now because it was like right in the moment. Uh, so you could do that and things that I'm writing. And I think, you know, the next thing to look at, I'll just tell you, like, there, there's so much to say about that day. And I want to go again. And I want to bring different people. And I do highly recommend for listeners to get Jonathan, uh, Jonathan to plan a solidarity trip. So you can come and do this yourself as well, because it's worth seeing. And it was very safe. So uh, send emails to Jonathan, encouraging him to plan this trip. And uh, but what what I think we're looking at next is um, that we're looking at this switching to the political scene and we're yeah. going to have to start looking at uh, politics and um, Israeli politics, the government who's, you know, the the hostage movement, the the, you know, bring them home movement is starting to blur into we need a new government. Yes. We're against the government. And I just think that this is going to be a new battlefront to start watching right now. And uh, so that's in light of what we saw. I'm now also looking at this and, and, that, and see where and we're and going. It's and it's important as well for the continuation of the war, the completion of the goals of the war, and to try to hold on to some semblance of the unity that we've mm -hmm. uh, that we've been privileged, if you will, to experience the last hundred plus days. Yes. Yeah. Um, Nicole, really always a pleasure. I did not expect that we would be going to the Gaza border a week ago or having this conversation, but both were important and I'm grateful for you joining that day and making the time now. Um, and anyone, again, uh, you can go and check out what Nicole is doing at nickjan.com. Um, as we wrap up- Thank you. As we wrap up, Nicole, you haven't even seen the finished copy of the book, did you? Oh, did you see it when I yes, passed I it? Yes, I did. Around? Okay, in yes, the car. Yes, I did. Um, but anyone who has not yet seen Israel the Miracle, first of all, can go to israelthemiracle.com and order a copy. Or we always give our listeners an opportunity to get a free copy since September 
when the book came out, while our uh, book launch tour was delayed and will be revived now for God willing next month, um, you can get yourself a free copy. And all you need to do is go to the Inspiration from Zion social media and like and follow us. And when you comment and share the link to this program or another program this month, we are going to select one person at random to receive a copy of Israel the Miracle. We always have to say we're grateful to our podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're ever in the area, definitely stop in and thank them for helping make programs like this possible. And also thank you to the Coyne family as well for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all of Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and to build bridges. And because Nicole and I shared this experience, I, I sometimes I have the leeway to dedicate an episode in honor or memory or of someone myself. And this is an honor and memory of all the people who were the heroes that day. Um, we had many, many victims. Um, we still do, and there's and they're suffering, but there are many heroes, and we will continue to hear their stories. So it, it, this is an honor of them, um, and then for them sharing their stories. If you would like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of loved one or special occasion, please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We'd always love to hear your questions as part of a dialogue and invite you to send along questions as well, specifically you have about traditional Judaism where our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this link with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here where we share more meaningful conversations about topics that are unique that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you.